Welcome back, everybody. It is time for another episode of Blitz Boys. I just punched my desk. That kind of hurt. But uh, nonetheless, uh, week one is in the books. It was an amazing week one. A lot of people are complaining, saying, oh, there was no close games. There was a ton of close games. You just didn't mm-hmm. want to watch Fresno State, Purdue, or you know any of the – you wanted to watch the big names, and that's fine. I get it. But don't say, you know, it was, it was a bad week one because it was a great week one. And by the way, college football is back. I don't care. I, I will watch Alabama play Middle Tennessee State five times if it just means I get to watch college regardless either way we had a ton of fun watching it and we're here to break down all of week one get you ready for friday night's game as well and then lead into week two uh and don't forget saturday morning out of the tunnel will be live 9 a.m on our youtube and our x um i know it's x now but i still call it twitter but nonetheless we'll, we'll be live on both of those for out of the tunnel so we hope you guys join us there stop rambling and we'll get into our, our episode this week a lot to talk about um Let's get in, and we're going to look at some of the games from last week, the 10 that we picked on out of the tunnel. Uh, the first game up, probably the biggest game of the week. Uh, we had Colorado going to TCU. Coach Prime in his FBS debut, coaching debut, uh, leads Colorado to a 45-42 victory over uh, TCU, the national runner-ups from last year. We talked about this on Saturday. Obviously, there's a ton of changes in that team from last year, but still very impressive to go out there and have that showing in, in your first game. Uh, the other game we had is a huge upset. Fresno State beats Purdue on the road, 39-35. to Ohio State uh, looked really ugly. We'll talk about them here in a minute. Uh, but they beat Indiana 23-3. to Boise State goes out to Washington and gets stomped 56-19. to And uh, Slade was at the tailgate for this one. He didn't go to the game. Uh, Penn State beats up on West Virginia 38-15. to uh, so let's go back. We'll we'll start with this Colorado TCU game. Slade, your your initial thoughts from this game? I mean, I think that Coach Prime basically spoke it into existence. I mean, it's it's the part where a lot of times people say we're going to go out there and do this. I mean, what's his name from LSU? Uh, said we're going to go out and kick the crap out of Florida State, and uh, we we saw what happened there. I mean, Coach Prime has been basically talking his team up the entire offseason. I mean, there was a lot of drama surrounding this team. He came in, he basically told everyone, go find another place to play because I'm bringing guys in. They're they're Louie. They're better than you, basically. Um, I, I think that his son had an amazing game. Uh, I forget what this, his son's name is, the quarterback one. Uh, sure, but he had sure. from that play on the team. But, uh, yeah, so he, I mean, he threw for like 500 yards against Obviously, a completely different team from last year, but TCU still the returning national runner-ups. Uh, amazing. And then you have Travis Hunter, who I think they say he played like somewhere over 120 snaps, offensive side, defensive side, and interception, touchdown. Uh, I think like 120 receiving yards. Just ridiculous play out of him as well. Um, it's going to be hard if this team makes a run and, and gets into a bowl game, you know, to – to kind of count them down because I think their over under win total was like three games, two and a half, three and a half, maybe, or something like that on the season. Yeah, I, I mean, we there. might, we, we might see them hit three wins by the end of September here, just based on their schedule. So I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, the, first of all, um, just going back to coach prime as a football coach and a, a former player, that is the kind of coach that you want to play for. Mm-hmm. If you listen to him in interviews, it, it, it sounds arrogant. It sounds cocky. But if you listen to how he talks about his players, he, he treats them like they're his own sons. 
you know, it, it's one thing to have that he has two sons on the team, but he treats every guy on that roster like, you know, they're, they're his blood. Um, and that makes it so much easier to buy into a program like that. And I had my reservations about how I thought they would do. I didn't think they'd be terrible. I thought they'd be much improved from last year. But I thought, you know, going on the road, your, your first game in what's going to be a hostile environment against what I thought was still going to be a pretty good team was going to be a tall task. They, they showed up. Now, their defense does still give me concerns outside of Travis Hunter. Um, you know, they, they can throw away from him. I think they're, they're, they're going to get into competitive matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of September here, they play Oregon and US, uh, USC back-to-back. Those are going to be two very difficult games for them, but it's going to tell a lot about them. I'm excited for their game this weekend. Um, I know Nebraska is not very good on the offensive side of the ball, but they do have a very good defense. Um, you know, what I, I think much better than what TCU brings to the table. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how they can adjust to, a, you know, a, a level up style of defense. Uh, I, I think they're going to win, uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll make the defensive adjust, or offensive adjustments to a very who, good team. Who did you feel will win there? Sorry, I, I missed the middle part there. Did you think that Nebraska will still pull out the win or Colorado? Uh, I, no, I say Colorado. Okay, uh, okay. No, but uh, the, the last thing I want to talk about from this game is there was a lot of talk about uh, Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter. Obviously, they deserved it. Uh, Dylan Edwards is the guy who impressed me the most, kind of just burst onto the scene. Nobody was really talking about him prior to this game, and he absolutely played out of his mind on Saturday. Um, six On rushing side, he only uh, 24 yards rushing and a touchdown, uh, but receiving um, – 135 yards on five catches, three touchdowns. Just absolutely insane stats to put up on the offensive side of the ball. As a running back, to, to uh, catch for 135 yards, he was lightning fast. He gets to that edge quick on those little swings and screens. Uh, and if you you try to arm tackle him, he's, he's gone. And that was beyond impressive for me to watch. Um, you know, again, everybody's looking at Travis Hunter kind of bursting on the scene. Okay, th- this is Colorado's Heisman guy. I think Dylan Edwards at, at season end, if he sees health, if he stays healthy, is going to be the name out of Colorado that we see being associated with the Heisman race. Um, because if, if he can put up stats like that, that is that is going to be an ungodly season to try and defend. Um, and he was, from my point of view, he was the most fun to watch on Saturday. Uh, let's go to the next game: uh, Fresno State and Purdue. I'm I'm upset with myself because I had Fresno State. Penciled in. They were my team picked until Friday night when I started making our graphics for Saturday morning for out of the tunnel. I was like, you know what? Too much research. Has, yeah, I was like, Purdue has Graham Harrell lining up or, or run the offense now. I was like, you know what? Hudson Card from Texas is going to be the QB, and I talked myself out of it. I said, Purdue's offense, it's going to take them a little while to get going, but this offense is going to be fun to watch. And I talked myself out of picking Fresno State. Fresno State goes out there and wins. Um, <laughs> Nonetheless, this was a great game. It came down to a late uh, fourth down stop for Fresno State to get the win. A huge upset win for them coming off that great season last year, winning the Mountain West. People weren't super high on them. I mean, I know I wasn't. I was high on Boise State. Uh, We'll talk about them here in a minute. Um, Slade, I don't know if you got to watch much of this game because, like I said, I know you're at the tailgates. Uh, Just your thoughts from this game. Yeah, I mean, I I had picked Fresno to win, obviously – 
it was an upset pick on Saturday looking at it like before the game. But um, yeah, I just, I, it seems as if based on stats, I mean, their, their QB, I think it's keen, keening or whatever you say. Uh, I mean, 31 to 44 for 370 yards, four touchdowns His one hiccup was an interception. Um, it's going to be really hard to beat that when Purdue's quarterback was 17 of 30 for 250. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, 17 to 30, 252 touchdowns is still really good with the offense putting up 35 points. But if the other quarterback throws for four touchdowns, it's going to be hard to compete with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I think Purdue will be fine going forward. I mean, it's going to take a few games to get the, the irons, you know, wrinkled out in competition. Um I'm still excited to see what they can do down the line. Uh, you know, we're not used to seeing this style of offense in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is, you know, give me your, your eye back formation, and we're going to run power right, power left, you know, play action passes. This is a a full, you know, we're going to spread them out, and we're going to chuck the ball down the field. Um, so I'm excited to see how this can kind of work out in the Big Ten. A year before we start to really get these spread offenses in, coming from, you know, the West Coast, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. I know Wisconsin's kind of running like a hybrid offense um, with Luke Fickle going over there. Obviously, they had great success on Saturday, uh, but this is uh, this is basically a uh, trying to think of it. Can't think of it. It was Mike Leach's old offense. Um, why can't I think of the name of this offense? Anyway, yeah, it's it's air raid. It's an air raid offense. Oh my god. Um, but so this is this is something that we really haven't seen in the Big Ten before. So I'm curious to see how this will work out, kind of as the season starts to progress. Uh, Ohio State, Indiana, Ohio State wins 23 to three, not what any of us had expected. I had said I think we played over under before the games. I said Ohio State would cover the spread, but it would be under the total. Um, or maybe I said Ohio, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I, I didn't expect the game to be 23 to three. The spread was 30. <laughs> yeah. I think the over-under over under was like 46 or something like that. But um, Kyle McCord didn't look horrible. I mean, he absolutely had some bad throws. But he also made some really good uh, throws, some athletic moves, showed glimmers of why he was such a highly touted recruit, probably why he got picked to be the, the starter at, at Ohio State. But his his misses were a lot fewer and far in between. Um he had a lot more misses than what a lot of people expected, especially as the game continued. Again, you know, th- this time of year, we expect offenses to start slow. You know, we got to get into our groove. Uh, Ohio State just never found it, and, and they struggled throughout the entire day. Um, so your, your thoughts from this game? Jesse is not going to be worried. He's going to be, like, sticking with the team. Uh, I picked Ohio State to win the national championship, and I am already regretting it week one. Ohio State. No, no Jesse, Jesse was worried. He was he was texting me yeah. on Saturday. He was worried. Yeah, he better be. I didn't know if he was going to stick up a hard front. Um, I think that we're seeing Ohio State in unfamiliar territory that they have not seen. Yes, they've moved through quarterbacks just about every two years at the school, but mm-hmm. it always seems like every quarterback that they put in, that quarterback breaks the last quarterback's passing records, touchdown records, everything, you know? I don't see that being a possibility just based on this. First. I mean, he even threw a passing touchdown. He threw one interception, 240 yards, 20 of 33. Now, I understand it's his first time playing uh, on this big stage like this, you know, a first opportunity to run the offense this season. But 
I mean, against Indiana, you got to hope that you can at least find the end zone once. I mean, even with it being Indiana, uh, not to like completely crap on Indiana, but this is Ohio State, who has a top 10 recruiting class every single year. Yeah, There's just no reason that even a 20-yard pass shouldn't break away for a touchdown at some point in the game, and they didn't have any of this. So I, I'm super yeah. worried. I mean, usually, even if they have a couple troubles with the quarterback, they've got a great running back. And, I mean, eight carries for 60 yards was their leading running back. I mean, now that's great, but you would think that they would have more than 23 points. But just with the recruits, the team that they have, I, I was very disappointed. I mean, I think they should have scored double the points against Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but shout out to Indiana, though, for, for coming yeah. out. I mean, again, you have a 30-point spread hung on your head. You're at home. People expect nothing out of you this season. Uh, and the fact that they, they went out there, they put up a hell of a fight, especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, held them to, you know, 23 points when everybody thought, you know, Ohio State might, might be pushing the over on their own. Um, the other thing I, Michigan better be on watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about Common Cord. And then there was also talk of Devin Brown trying, mm-hmm. right, you know, split some reps. He had, I think, three, maybe three series total. Uh, and then we didn't see him anymore in the game. Uh, and the, um, yeah, he went one watching, for three minus two yards. <laughs> yeah, I was watching CBS during like towards the end of this game, and they were talking about that. And it was they were like, "Oh, you know, we're just going to stick with the hot hand." I'm like, "What hot hand does Ohio State have right now that they're sticking with?" And, and I get it. You know, he was your starter, and and why yank him? If again, he wasn't playing absolutely horrible, but they're not trying just, to beat down his confidence. Yeah. And yeah, that that definitely I feel like would have made things worse. Um, but I'm just saying, just the way CBS phrased it, I was like, I mean, Devin Brown went one for three with two uh, uh, loss of two yards, and then he also rushed the ball once for a loss of three yards, which I'm sure just counts as a sack or out of the pocket right. tackle or something. But I mean, it's just the QB room needs to step up at Ohio State. That's all I gotta say. Uh, I mean, and there's already whispers. I mean, we talked about this before with. Ryan Day losing back-to-back games against uh, Michigan. That if, yep. if it happens a third time in a row, you know, is his seat going to start to get a little hot? And again, he's not a bad coach. He he got them to the college football playoff last year. They lost in a questionable fashion against Georgia, so they could have possibly you know won a national title with everything considered. But you know, Ohio State, they, their main concern is we need to beat Michigan first, and then we'll go win a national title. I still think they would have considered last season a failure had they lost to Michigan and still won't gone on to win the national title. Just in, in again, mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, that's not a failure to us, but just the standard that Ohio State fans hold themselves to. I feel like that's that's a genuine discussion that can start happening, especially you know with the slow start this season. There's there's some question marks around Brian Day right now. Yeah, so I mean, do you think that this adds into? Uh what was it two years ago that no three years now that Joe Burrow was at LSU. Yeah. There's a two. Uh, when he went there, they did the big story about how he was at Ohio state. He was sitting behind two great quarterbacks. Both the guys on the bench knew that they were never going to see game time because that's just how it is. You wait until it's your turn. You might only get to play one year, but you're playing at a great university that it's not going to matter. It's you're going to be great and you're going to get drafted. You're going to play in the NFL, you know? Uh, are we seeing it that people are tired of waiting on the, on the bench at Ohio State? I don't even think that that's an Ohio State problem. I think we're seeing it across the country right now. They can I mean, transfer you, anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if you look at we, we 
we were talking about Baylor before the show. Baylor got whooped up on a Texas State. Texas State brought in an ungodly amount of transfers last year because they brought people in, you know, from these these high end schools that were tired of sitting third, fourth string, and they're like, you know, I know I'm better than this. So they transferred out. They go to Texas State, and now Texas, I think they beat Baylor by what, like twenty some points. It might have been a little closer than that. So, um, but yeah, so. I, I think that's that's a college football problem, and it, it, it's not necessarily a problem. I mean, you, you want to talk about leveling the playing field, um, but I don't think it's a, it's a problem rele, relegated to Ohio State is what I'm trying to get at. Right, right. 42-31, so they beat them by 11. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Let's look at Boise State and Washington. Uh, I had this as my upset alert. I thought Boise State could at least keep this within – I think the spread was 13.5 at kickoff, 12.5, somewhere around there. Um, I was wrong. I mean, at halftime, at halftime, it was close. Uh, I'm sorry, not even halftime. At the end of the first quarter, it was six nothing. Um, <laughs> it went it went back and forth at the beginning there. Um, yeah, second quarter is where it really blew up. Yeah, well, it was it was late in the second quarter. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Twenty. So it was twenty eight to twelve at halftime. Yeah, it was six nothing, six seven, nine to seven, and then uh, yeah. Washington just went on a run there. They were up 28 to 9. Boise State got a late field goal. They did come out. They scored a touchdown to start the second half. Uh, they were down 28 19, and that's the last we heard of Boise State. Washington just goes on a run there. Um, so, again, it, again, like we said before, week one, it's going to take a little bit for some of these teams to start clicking. But, man, when Washington started clicking, they were firing on cylinders. Boise State was kind of marching the ball up and down the field there early. Even when they weren't, you know, getting those, those scoring drives, they were moving the ball consistently. Uh, Washington kind of struggled here or there, but man, I mean, middle of the second quarter, they just flicked that switch and they were gone. Uh, and, and there was no Boise State was not keeping up at all. So bad week to pick them as my upset alert. But I, again, I, I had high expectations for Boise State this year. Uh, the way the Mountain West kind of started off as a whole with Fresno State beating Purdue. Uh, Wyoming also topples Texas Tech on the road. You know, there's lofty expectations there. I thought they could keep it, you know, within a score, maybe, you know, 14 points at the most. Uh, that was not the case. Not the case at all. Uh, so, Slay, we'll, we'll switch over. We'll talk about Penn State, West Virginia. Um, you and I love the outcome of this game, especially at the end, but I'll let you talk about it first. Um, I, I think that it was a good building block for Penn State. Uh, I think that a, a lot of people, as, including me, were worried that there was a possibility that Penn State could come out and just lay an egg. You know, uh, there's mm-hmm. a, so much expectation around this team. And usually when there's a lot of expectation for Penn State, um, they end up making life a lot harder for themselves the rest of the season, le- losing to uh, Illinois in eight overtimes or someone that they shouldn't really lose to, but they end up doing it just to make life harder on themselves. Uh, I do want to say that I agree with the West Virginia fans that put out and said that coaches don't know the spread. Um, there's no reason that James Franklin should have ran any plays with 25 seconds left in the game. Uh, they were already up at that point, what, 32 to 15. Um, I, or maybe 31, 31. Know, whatever. 31, yeah, yeah. 31. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I understand that at this point, I mean, this is what we had said last year. I think you and I both said this last year that the way the college football playoff works, you have to beat everyone by a million points. If you're expected to win by 10, you have to win by 20. 
and it's just you're going to lose at some point. It's very rare for any of the teams to go undefeated unless you're Georgia or Alabama or something, you know. But um, you have to make sure that every game that you do win is way more than what was expected just to kind of get that extra vote for yourself later on down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that it was right at the spread, right at the over-under, and uh, he's running the ball, running plays with 12 seconds left, uh, it's very comical. Um, Very hard to go and sit in a press conference afterwards and be like, uh, because Penn State, I mean, obviously there's some bad stuff that comes with Penn State, but recently they've prided themselves on tradition and honor and respect and stuff like that, you know. So that definitely went against a lot of that there at the end of the game. See, here's where I I'm coming from, and I'm actually kind of defending James Franklin here. Okay. I think in his mind, I think he when West Virginia scores that touchdown, but listen, they're, they they got to try at least, right? You know, they weren't, you know, there was still a little time left. Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let, we're not going to give up. We're going to score. We're going to go for two. We're going to try the onside kick. I think where James Franklin drew the line is when they tried the dumbass ring around the rosy play that we saw the, the mm-hmm. Kansas City Chiefs do. The difference when the Kansas City Chiefs did it is they were winning that game. Like they were just, <laughs> they, they had clinched AFC West. They were just fucking around at that point. Here, West Virginia is, they're, they're trying to make a comeback and they, they do this BS ring around the rosy play. I, if I'm James Franklin, I don't care if I'm up 63 to 15. I take that as disrespectful, and, and I'm like, I, I would have taken that laying down. I would have done the same exact damn thing. I, I get the ball on my 50-yard line because I recovered the onside kick. Screw it. And, and I, I respect that he at least did it with the backups. Okay, let's put the backups in here. Let's see if you can move the ball. Because they saw their, their starting defense out there because they needed to try and get the ball back. Okay, let's, let's move the ball down here. Let's see what we can get. Now – the other reason I'm thankful for James Franklin is because I, I won my bet. And that's all I was asking for. I just Same. needed a field goal in that drive because I think you, you got it for me. I think the over-under was 48 and a half, and I thought it was uh, 49. So I, at first I thought I needed the touchdown that I double-checked. I just needed a field goal. I was like, that, mm-hmm. that'll get me 49 on the dot. And I didn't realize that. I Watching the game, I didn't even realize in real time it was fourth and three when they went for it. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. That's why so, that's why it's so much more disrespectful that yeah. instead of just kicking a field goal, he got the spread. I mean, it's yeah, go, but you're good. Yeah. No, I I mean and maybe at that point he was like, you know what? Let's beat them. Let's let's cover the spread here. Why not? But I, I genuinely think it, it traces all the way back to them trying that two point conversion in such a, a BS fashion. Like and- there was I'm gonna backtrack a little because th- they are trying to renew this as a rivalry. They're trying to make this sort of like the Pitt thing, except Pitt was unable to win most of the games. Um, I, I think that maybe this plays a little bit into that. He can throw some animosity, like you know, like you're saying. I do think that West Virginia was unable to move the ball basically the entire game, and so if they're gonna try some trick play, foolery shit to try and get the ball in the end zone, you know, they they have to try whatever they can. Um, I also, at the beginning of the season, said Neil Brown deserves to lose his job uh, yeah. or should be on the hot seat. I think that he's probably feeling the same way. <laughs> so I think that they're just going to try all the stops if they're down in the game. I, I mean, I'm I'm impartial now that you've brought up about the different things. But I, I just think that it was very funny that these people were right on it right away after the game. I mean, I like yeah. I told you, I woke up at midnight to get ready to go to work, and I already saw TikToks at that. I mean, the game just ended like an hour before that. And I'm yeah. already seeing TikToks of them being like, James Franklin had $50,000 on the spread. He's running the ball. 
fourth and three with six seconds left. <laughs> yeah. No, and again, maybe once all that happened, he was like, yeah. screw it, let's cover the spread. Like I said, I'm tracing it back to, I think at the very least, I think it was the disrespectful and pointless two-point conversion play. Like, you could have just lined up and ran that same exact two-point conversion play, and you would have been fine. I, you know, doing it a little ring around the rosy thing. Also, they were like a, an inch away from being a false start before they yeah. even got out of the huddle because the, the huddle kept moving. as it, Yeah. And so... I think that's where I trace everything back to at least. Um, sorry, Home Depot, I just started going off in the air. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of where I, I take everything back to. Um, but nonetheless, I'm I'm thankful he did it, <laughs> just because I was not having the greatest day betting, um, and so that that kind of at least was, was a nice little bonus. It was it was a sweat too because I'm sitting there, I'm like, damn, like it's not gonna happen. And they start getting down the field, I'm like. Maybe they kicked a field goal here. I was like, I'll take those points at least. Like, I'll hit the over. And then they went for it. I was like, oh, damn, okay. I'll take that all day. Uh, let's move on here. Let's talk about some more games. Uh, UNC and South Carolina played here in Charlotte. Not how I expected this game to go at all, especially with how the first half went. Um, you know, South Carolina looked really good at, at, throughout the first half. They go into the locker room. They make their adjustments. Um, they were... They were down three. It was 17-14 at halftime. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they looked good. And then all of a sudden they come out and oh, UNC just throttles them in the second half. Uh, they get a, a garbage time field goal late in the fourth quarter. Um, the, the third quarter was really where, where it broke. I mean, UNC put up both of their touchdowns in the third quarter. Uh, but they were just dominating South Carolina uh, on both sides of the ball, especially on the front line there in the second half. Um, South Carolina's offensive line is inexperienced, and I get that. But watching the the, the game uh, live as I did, they were just missing like simple like key reads and block and letting you know three guys just roam right into the backfield and, and sack Rattler. Uh, speaking of Rattler, he throws for three hundred fifty three yards and no touchdowns. So, I mean, just rough day all around. And there was so much expectation behind South 30 Carolina. Thirty thirty nine. Uh, so much expectation around the South Carolina team based off of how they ended last year. I mean, all three of us picked them to win this game. Um, not at all what we expected to come out of South Carolina. Your thoughts on this? I will say in Spencer Rattler's defense, I expected if if you'd have told me that UNC is going to win thirty-one to seventeen and Spencer Rattler's not going to have an offensive touchdown, um, I would have said that Spencer Rattler threw. 19 of 39 for three interceptions and like 280 yards. Uh, the fact that he's not necessarily the offensive reason as to why they weren't able to get it done, you know, obviously mm -hmm. he should be able to, you know, maybe hit someone different, whatever. But I mean, he wasn't making the mistakes that I expected him to make for them to go out and lose like this. Um, Drake may, on the other hand, I mean, he, he had a great game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, still two interceptions, but he their team their defense was able to capitalize, and so, I mean, it was yeah, great I, on his. I day. think UNC. It, I was just going to say, I think UNC eliminated their two biggest concerns. And I mean, it's week one. We'll have to see how, how yeah. it, it's still going to be a concern throughout the rest of the year. But in this game, they they quelled the two biggest concerns a lot of people had about their teams. One was the new offensive coordinator coming in, and he he preached all offseason we're going to run the ball. You know. Drake Mays is not going to be throwing it up, you know, 50 times a game and whatnot. 
And then the second concern was UNC's defense has struggled a lot the last few years. Uh, and here they are in week one. They hold a high-caliber offense to 17 points. Their offense puts up 31. Drake May looked good. The running game looked it was a It was a balanced attack. UNC just looked good across the board. Uh, so encouraging signs out of Chapel Hill uh, in week one. Uh, let's move over to South Alabama at Tulane. This game was a lot farther apart than I thought it would be. South Alabama came off that uh, 11-2 and season last year, I think it was. Um, Tulane, obviously, it goes to Cotton Bowl. They beat USC. There might be, we talked about this Saturday morning, maybe there's a little bit of a, an arrogance flow through them right now. Maybe they think they're too good for this kind of game. No, they, they went out there and they played really good football. Pratt throws four touchdowns, almost 300 yards. Uh, Jaquan Jackson, um, three receptions, 106 yards, and two touchdowns. That is an absolutely the, insane stat line for a wide receiver. The offensive stats of Tulane's team is just ridiculous. I mean, you already said Pratt threw for four touchdowns. He did that on 14, 14 completions. Yeah, He went 14 of 15 for 295 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, it's basically like he just threw the ball and Jackson just ran it for 50 yards into the end zone. And then he threw the ball again, and Jackson ran it for 50 yards into the end zone. Then he threw it to someone else, and they ran it for 40 yards into the end zone. Like, it, it's just – it makes it seem as if South Alabama didn't even put a defense out there on the field. I mean, at, at, at that rate, he might might as well not have. Uh, but, I mean, Tulane is obviously the front runner for, oh, for sure. group of five, you know, uh, representative uh, for the New York Six this year. Some people have said, what if, you know, they play an Ole Miss team this weekend at that home again? That I'm excited to watch that game. We're going to talk about that again in a little bit. Um, people are talking about it. You know, if they beat Ole Miss, do you think that'll make them playoff contenders? I'm going to say right now, no. Even if they run the table from here on out, if they go undefeated. One, because the American isn't as strong as what it was in years past. Two, I think the committee is going to be prepped. Because, hey, Cincinnati went undefeated, and then they did it again the next year. We let them in, and they got stomped by Alabama. You know, is that something we want to do again? And I think, again, I am not high on Ole Miss. I understand they brought in high-end transfers. They bring in high-end recruits. They always just seem to kind of falter towards the end of the year. And if that happens again, if, if Tulane beats them, I think they falter again either right now or they get to the end of the year and they, they kind of struggle to finish it out. Uh, they lose some sloppy games. And from there, they'll you know kind of diminish their the the caliber of that win, I, I guess, um, in Tulane's eyes. But, so I'm going to say even if Tulane wins this weekend and they run the table, I don't think they make the playoffs. Um, next game we got here is Coastal Carolina at UCLA. Uh, I took Coastal Carolina to win this game backfired. Uh, they were down 13-14 at one point, then UCLA kind of poured it on. Um, so, not great for me. Uh, your thoughts on this game, Slade? Uh, yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing that came from it for me is that neither quarterback could throw an accurate pass for the most part. I mean, uh, McCall for Coastal Carolina, 27-42 of 42 with two interceptions, uh, and then more for UCLA, 7-12 of 12 with an interception. I mean, Obviously, they both threw for uh, one and two touchdowns, respectively. But um, I, I just think that they've definitely got to do better at the quarterback position if either team – I mean, UCLA should be scoring like 40 points. They're a Pac-12 team. 
I mean, this this is what they do offensively. 27 points. Uh, and their quarterback throughout only having seven completions is just uh, not what I expected out of them. And just Chip Kelly complaining at the end of the game just really early. That was at halftime. Oh, halftime. Sorry. Yeah. He He's complaining that they only got to touch the ball four times. And uh, it's just pitiful. I mean, I don't know what he wants out of it he was used to the rolling clock in the nfl when he coached there maybe that's one of the driving factors as to why he left i don't know but what were your I mean, thoughts he, he got fired he didn't, he didn't leave well right but i'm saying that maybe that no sucked. i mean <laughs> going to chip kelly i mean i as much as it's him whining and stuff i mean i agree with his complaint at the same time i mean we we, we they talked all off season you know we, we want to make these games quicker you know we don't want these games dragging out they, that's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to fit more timeouts in there so they can run five minutes of commercials. Um, I, that's what annoyed me. But going back to UCLA's offense, if you look at Dante Moore, he, he was actually – he's not their starter. He just got playing time. as he, He's a true freshman. He was the five-star recruit. He was supposed to go to Oregon. Uh, and then when Kenny Dillingham left to take the Arizona State job, he withdrew, and then he decided to go to UCLA. So Ethan Gabers was technically the starter. He got more playing time. So for more as a true freshman getting playing time and playing as well as he did, uh, you know, on seven, seven completions, I get seven for 12 is an outstanding stat, but seven completions he threw for 143 yards. One of those was an interception um, and, and he did throw for two touchdowns. So, I mean, as a true freshman, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt when I'm looking at that, you know, hey, this was his first FBS kind of playing level. He played against a very good opponent um, and he played pretty well on top of all that. Um, one, sorry, ahead. one thing. Last thing I want to say about Chip Kelly. Um, Oregon scored eighty-one points. Ole Miss scored like seventy-three. Uh, Oklahoma scored seventy something, seventy-six maybe, or something like that. Uh, obviously, these were against very lesser opponents than playing Coastal Carolina. But if there's ninety points, eighty points being scored in the game total. It just means that your team isn't up to the level at what you expect them to play if you're whining about only getting four touches in the ball because o- Oregon touched the ball more than four times in the first half. Yeah. So no, and, I don't and, know. And, yeah, and like I said, I I agree with you that it was whiny. I'm just saying I think the point he was at the end of trying to make was you know uh, about we talked about trying to speed these games up and then here we are adding all these words. that that's what I agree with more so than like you said you know yeah. you you only got four possessions so that's kind of your own fault. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you on that front. But uh, the other two games we're going to look at, one was on Sunday night. This was our game of the week for this week. It was LSU and Florida State. We thought this was going to be a lot closer. Uh, it was not. Uh, Florida State goes out in the second half and absolutely just dominates LSU. This was a wild game. Uh, they put up 31 alone. 31 to seven is how they outscored UCLA or LSU. Excuse me in the second half. Uh, LSU goes into halftime up 17-14. Um, I also want to talk about there, there was two fourth downs LSU went for. The first one I kind of understood. It was fourth and goal, for, I think, like the two-yard line, if that. I, I, I get that. And especially week one against a, a high-caliber opponent like this, you need to make a statement early. They get stuffed. Okay, fine. The second, I believe it was the very next drive. It was fourth and one. I think they were on the 25-yard line. I didn't understand going for it there. Obviously, Florida State showed that they were able to fire off the ball and get into those gaps and stuff you on a on a fourth and short. I think there I would have taken the field goal 
at that point, you go in the halftime up six. I think there's a little bit better mentality around that team. Uh, and you come out a little lax in the second half. And I think this is a better game going forward. I, 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 I get it. I don't think three points changes a whole lot. But I, I think it's it's a you know a little ripple wave that actually changes a lot. Uh, your thoughts on this game, Slade? Um, yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it. I, I I picked FSU to win this game, but nowhere did I think that they were going to win by 21 points. Um, I forget what the spread was, two and a half for LSU, I think, or something like that. So I, yeah. I did not see this coming at all. Florida State was firing on all cylinders, it seemed like, and LSU um, was trying to play keep up as best they could. Uh, obviously, the second half, they were unable to do that at all. But like you said, I think I think if they kick the field goal there, go in six point lead, um, as we saw it come out. I mean, FSU came out, kicked a field goal in their first drive, so they would have still been up by three points, and then you kind of play from there. You know, it's kind of like a reset. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just rough to be LSU right now because I'm sure that they had a lot of high hopes. What would this have been second year for head coach? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I, I don't see the rest of their season going the way that they expect. I mean, they are going to have. I think that they beat Ole Miss like week five, the end of September. But I think that they're going to have hard games. I don't think that they come close to beating Alabama. I think that they're going to have a lot of trouble with Texas A&M at the end of the season too. So I, I think that maybe you had them. Winning the SEC, I had them winning the SEC and the national championship. <laughs> so I mean, I, I obviously one game doesn't determine the entire season. They could go out, win the rest of the games of the season, win the SEC, like we had said, and and still win the national championship. But they've got to change a lot of things offensively and some defensively as well if they plan to do that. Yeah. Uh, just last thing I want to talk about. So Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels were two of my picks for the Heisman uh, finalists this year. Jordan Travis absolutely looked great. 20, 23 of 31, 342 yards, four touchdowns. He did throw one pick, though. Uh, Jaden Daniels, 22 of 37, 346 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also ran for 64 yards. Uh, he had a 40-yard sprint earlier in the game that kind of got him ahead there. Still, both of them looked good. Uh, so I'm excited to see how both of them play throughout the rest of the week. Uh, the last game we're going to talk about was on Monday night. Clemson traveled to Duke as 13-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, you and I talked about this before the game. I said uh, – we talked about this on Saturday. You thought uh, – it was – excuse me, it was 12-and-a-half-point favorites. You thought Clemson would easily cover this. I said there's no way. Duke is going to hang around and keep this close. I didn't see it going like this. Um, I, I posted a TikTok earlier today. Uh, I apologize to DJ Uyunglele. We talked about it all last year. We blamed Clemson's problems mm-hmm. on him. It was all his fault. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I, I think this game made it very clear. Uh, and I, I don't want it, uh, to blame uh, Kate Klubnick either. I think Kate Klubnick looked fine. Uh, you know, he didn't look stellar or anything like that, but I think he looked fine. His one interception he threw literally hit Will Shipley in the hands, bounced straight up in the air, Duke picks it off. And that ended up being kind of what sealed the game. Uh, regardless, I, I don't think anybody had this game going this way. I mean, Clemson had 422 total yards. Uh, 213 rushing, 209 passing. So, I mean, the offense was moving the ball. They just could not finish drives. And Duke was playing a very 
dependable style of bend but don't break. Uh, and it looked like a few times Clemson was finally getting it rolling. They're going to punch in for a touchdown here. And here's going to come the onslaught. Uh, and Duke weathered it. And they played great on both sides of the ball, mainly offense. So um, this was a fun game to watch. Before I talk any more about it, so do you have any thoughts from this game? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that obviously I was the most wrong of any of our picks this week. I was very high on Clemson. I think I even had them. I have to look at my notes, so I'll come back with it on Saturday. But I think I even had them in my top six for playoffs. Um, I, I think Clemson goes into halftime one point, uh, one point up, seven six. Uh, they come out. Uh, Duke comes out and scores right away, like twelve minutes, uh, left in the quarter. And I think at that point, my first thought is. Clemson's done this before they play a close game. They kind of get behind to start the second half. And then they somehow come back at the end of the fourth quarter. And everyone's like, whoo, wasn't that like, wasn't that a nail biter or whatever? And Dabo Sweeney's always like, no, no, no. Like we, we know how to like perform in these situations, blah, blah, blah. They just never came out to play in the second half. I mean, Duke came out, just balled out. And then the quarterback asked for an extension on his homework. And the teacher's like, you're lineman. Your lineman showed up, sent it all in. Like you're not getting any, you're not getting any preferential treatment. The rest of the team turned their homework in early, and so I think it's funny that they got beat by someone that can't even get an extension on his paper by his teacher. Yeah, no. Uh, so I stayed up at much all, but I think like half of the first quarter because I didn't get home yet. This was an absolutely just wild game, and I mean it's what you expect from a Monday night college football game. Uh, I mean. There was two blocked kicks Duke had over Clemson. They blocked over Clemson's kick. Just wacky turnovers. I will say the one time I would just say there's a little bit of controversy. I don't think it, it would have changed the outcome in the grand scheme of things. Um, Clemson went four and a fourth down. As uh, Club Nick was running, he had the scramble. He ran for the first down. He slid a yard early. So he was down a yard early, and I get that. Uh, the linebacker for Duke came flying across the field, though, and targeted him in the head, hits him. But they said because he was he had already given himself up and he was sliding that the play was over. So this is a dead ball foul. So therefore Duke gets the ball back still, then then it's going to be a 15 yard penalty. Um so there was a little controversy around that. Is like that I the said, Kenny I, Pickett rule? No. So so the Kenny Pickett rules you you can't fake a slide now. So okay, like he okay, was okay. he was full on sliding. Right, right, he, right, right. He put his feet up and everything. Um and so the rule with that is, is whenever you start your slide, wherever the ball is, he was a full yard behind. But then, like after he hit the ground, the dude launched himself and hit him. It was targeting. It was it was, it was a clear targeting. Mm-hmm. That that was the first time though I'd ever seen it called as a dead ball foul. And Duke got the ball, and then they just had to back up 15 yards and they went again. I thought that was a little weird, but again, I really don't think it would have changed the outcome. Do you see a catastrophic? catastrophic downfall like this i mean to this level i mean clemson was national level top three team for for how many years you know uh they've made the comparisons now i think the quarterback and the quarterback is the only five-star recruit on duke's team they have one four-star recruit on the team so of five and four-star recruits i think uh, i think it was like 40 some Clemson has to the two that Duke has. I mean, this just shows that if you have a couple calls go your way, you're playing at your best and you catch a team not expecting not expecting it, you know, you, you can go out there and upset somebody. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't see Clemson falling to like the bottom of the ACC or, or even middle of the pack. I think they're always going to be competing. I think what their issue is, is if you look at the landscape of college football, is everybody is welcoming these transfers in. We're sending transfers out. Um, Dabo has been very anti-transfer portal. You know, if you want to transfer, yep. you want to be here, fine, leave. You know, but he doesn't really tap into the transfer portal to pull, you know, new guys in. Uh, he's also very outspoken against NIL. Uh, and I, I think that turns not only some recruits, but also a lot of those transfers away Which, as well. And so I, I think I was just going to, I think that is what's hurting this team more so than anything. I mean, Clemson likes to bring in young, talented, uber talented freshmen, develop them for four years, and then see how they, they mature and, and perform and plug and play as they go. And I think that worked great, you know, a couple years ago. And I still think they're, they're going to be a fine program, but I don't think they're national championship caliber unless they start to adapt to what culturable is now. If you look at Nick Saban, that's what he does. You know, he, he was – when they, he started his dynasty run at Alabama, they ran, you know, I-back formation, Big Ten kind of football that we see now. He realized that's not – that isn't what, what is going to get it done anymore. He finally adopted – you know, gets his OC in there. They they adopt the spread formation. That's what they run now. Uh, and now with NIL and, and transfer portal and some other stuff, he's adopted that in as well. So it, it's evolve or die. And I think Dabo Sweeney's refusal to evolve is what's hurting this team. The, the last thing that I just want to say about Clemson is you had mentioned, which I've heard multiple times also, uh, Dabo is very against NIL. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny that Clemson was the first school in the country – to open a whole building based around NIL recruiting deals for their college athletes. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just funny that, I mean, football obviously is the biggest moneymaker for a school like that in the ACC and their coach is so outspoken against it yet. They've got uh, boosters and stuff, building buildings about this stuff to try and bring in the NIL deals for these players. Yeah. I mean, my favorite part of all this is, I mean, it's a joke right now, but you know, Clemson was one of the schools that really pushed for the ACC to adopt this pay uh, scale of the better teams get paid more money. And now they're looking at, you know, being one of the best teams across all athletics to kind of falling down that leaderboard. Again, we have, we have to wait and see. It's week one. We'll see where the season shakes out from here. But that would be very funny. That's kind of where everything heads. And Clemson wants more money, and then they suck, and now they're not going to get more money. Clemson wants more money, and now they're going to get the same money as Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's look at, uh, our pick standings updated after this week. Uh, so Nick leads the way at 16 and six Slade, you're right behind him 15 and seven. I'm struggling out the gate here. I'm 11 and 11. Uh, I went seven and eight this past week. You went 11 and four and as did Nick. Uh, so r- rough, rough week for me. Uh, but it's okay. It's early. I'm not too, I'm week five games back. Yeah. I'm plenty of time to catch up. Uh, cash out standings. Nick, four and one. Slade, you're at two and three. I'm at three and two. Listen, as long as I'm positive, I will take it any day. Do not take betting advice from me. Yeah. It's okay. Hey, week zero set you back. But week one, you kind of had a little bounce back there. You'll be fine. You went one and one. Yeah, you went one and one. But you, you, you'll improve from here. You'll be fine. I think I think Nick got lucky with his. I'll say that. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he did really well with these picks last year. I think he beat yeah. us by like 20. He doesn't bet any of it, but he, yeah. he gives out the betting odds. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So before we move on and we, we talk about uh, upcoming week two, who do you have as your most disappointing team from week one? Yeah, I don't have to talk much about it. I'm going with Clemson. I think that I talked so highly of them during our Saturday podcast, and I thought that they were going to come out, and I I honestly saw the score being completely flipped. I saw – I didn't see Clemson like going out and scoring 40 points, but I definitely saw them winning like by three scores, 28 to seven, you know, having a decent defense out there to kind of stop Leonard and his offense and, and that kind of being the way. And boy, was the script flipped there. Uh, I, I just hope that they're able to turn it around because they play Florida state in two weeks or three weeks. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that they're able to kind of figure it out because their best chance at making the playoffs now is winning out. And that involves, or that includes them beating Florida state in three weeks. And m- most likely they'll have to beat them twice. Cause they'll have yeah. probably and played them. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, the ACC championship. Um, my most disappointing team, I'm going to go with Baylor. Uh, I wasn't super high on that. Like I didn't have them picked when the big 12 or anything this year, but when we did our big 12 preview early in the year, I had those, a, a, you know, my most improved team. I thought they could be competing to win. The Big 12, uh, and they go out, they, they lose at home 42 to 13 to Texas State. Texas State had never beaten a Power Five school before uh, Saturday. Um, it, I mean, if you look at the total yards, Baylor gave up 441 yards. They only had 524 yards total. Um, just not what you would expect out of Baylor. And now they're, they're starting QB. Blake Shapin is hurt. He's going to be out for at least two or three more weeks. Uh, and so Baylor is going to have a rough start to the year. They have Utah coming to town this week now as well. Um, so what looked to be a you know promising season for Baylor, especially you know they won the Big Twelve Championship two years or yeah two years ago, really struggled last year. Okay, this is the bounce back year. They might get back there again, but they should be better. And now here they are. They lose to Texas State week one. Most likely going to use lose to Utah in week two. Um, so it, it's going to be a rough start for Baylor. Uh, they play Liberty then. I think that's Liberty, uh, LIU. It's an FCS school, and then they play Texas, and then they get UCF and Texas Tech. Uh, that's how they go into October. Uh, so it, it's at, we could be looking at Baylor being one and five uh, at, at to start the season here, and that's not where I think anybody had Baylor being at. So that that's why they were my most disappointing team in week one. Um, who's a team that changed your mind? In, in a positive way in week one. Uh, somebody that maybe you weren't high on uh, or you didn't think was going to be good at all, and now here they are. They might not look like national t- title contenders, but they look a lot better than what you thought they would. Um, I don't know how to put this. I, so I, I kind of have two. Uh, the first one was Tulane. I did not think they were going to win that game as handedly as they did. Um, I, I think we kind of already – touched on that a good bit in that uh, I, I definitely thought South Alabama was going to come out and kind of make it a uh, one-score game coming down the stretch for the fourth quarter, and it was going to be anyone's ball game. Um, the fact that that wasn't the case in Tulane kind of took hold of that game the entire time, uh, that definitely surprised me. The other one, USC's defense gave up less points this week. We still hit the over. Um, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> they hit the over on their own. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, I what? I guess they, they tied it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. It. Um, for me, I think I'm going to go with Wyoming. 
Um, oh, okay. I mean, they, they were in competing for the Mountain West last year. Um, kind of struggled towards the end there. They fell out of contention. I didn't expect anything big out of them with Texas Tech coming to town. Again, I was very high on Texas Tech uh, in the offseason, and they go out there and they beat them in double overtime. They weathered the storm. That was a really fun game to watch as well starting night. Um, they can absolutely compete to win the Mountain West, especially with how ugly Boise State played. Uh, I think the Mountain West is wide open between those three. You, you throw an Air Force to that mix. Um, the Mountain West is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So I'm going to go with Wyoming. Change my, you know, got, got my got my attention to look at them. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where they go for the rest of the season. Looking at Thursday and Friday games, obviously NFL kicks off on Thursday night. So there's one game. I think it's Murray State at Louisville. We're not going to pick that. And then on Friday, there's one game of note. I think this is going to be a very fun game to watch. Uh, we have Illinois visiting Kansas. This will be 7:30 on ESPN two. Nick is going to go with Kansas. Slate, who do you got in this game? Uh, I'm going with Illinois here. I think that they showed that they're able to score some points. I think they put up 30 points week one. Um, I, I just think that Kansas is is going to have some some struggles, some adjustments, and I think that Illinois will just be able to kind of capitalize on their struggles. Yeah. Uh, I was back and forth for most of today trying to pick this. I'm going to go with Illinois, though, as well. I, my – I just don't know how how good Kansas can be on defense. Again, I have Illinois picked to win the Big Ten West. I think they got their week one scare out of the way. Um, so I'm expecting big things from Illinois this team. I think this is still going to be a very good. I'm expecting big things out of Illinois this year. I still think this is going to be a very good game. I'm excited to watch it, uh, but I think Illinois gets it done on the road. I'm also super excited to see, uh, and we're going to talk about it here in a minute, uh, but Kansas, is they unveiled brand new uniforms for this whole season. And for this game, they're going to bring out blackout uniforms, which I think look absolutely sick. All black and then white Kansas lettering looks amazing. I can't wait to see that under the lights Friday night. Uh, so last week, we did a top five draft of our favorite football movies. Uh, today, we're going to do a top five draft of our favorite college football uniforms, not just helmets, not just jerseys, but the full uniform. Um, Slade, I'll let you go first again. Who are you? What are you? What uniform are you taking uh, with your first pick? I know you're not going to pick this one, so I'm going to go with the Penn State retro. Uh, I, I, knew I think they call it. Yeah, the. I mean, it's the one where it has the white stripe around the neck. It has the white stripe around yeah. the armband. They wear the white pants with the blue stripe down the side. Uh, it's the Joe Pa era, era uh, I should say, um, blue and whites. So I, I really like that one. I need to put it in the list, so I put it at five. Yeah. Oh, that that's your that's your number one pick. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Number one. Sounds good. <laughs> um, my number one pick, I'm going to go with BYU's baby blue uniforms. So like the normal uniforms, a little bit darker shade of blue. Uh, and every once in a while, they wear these powder blue, you know, baby blue jerseys. I absolutely love how they look, especially with the, the white stenciling and then the white helmets. I love everything about those jerseys. So those that's my number one pick for best jersey. Uh, who do you have at number two? We're kind of going in a, in a color pattern here. Uh, I'm going with Tulane's powder blue helmets with – it's like a grayish uh, jersey with green green numbers uh, with the green wave on the helmet. Really love that. Uh, I, I think that it's hard – it's it's a hard look. It, it's, it looks really nice, really clean. I, I like those jerseys. So, so wait, do you, are you talking – the green numbers or the ones that they wore at the Cotton Bowl with the white numbers? Because I had so, – I'm I'm talking green numbers. 
Okay. On my list, I had the, the Cotton Bowl jerseys. It was powder okay, blue, but they had white jersey or numbers. But that, that's not who I'm taking next. Uh, Wait, next your jersey thing. was powder blue? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about different. So it was powder blue helmet with the green wave, and then it was gray jerseys. Oh, okay. okay. With the green lettering. Uh, I, I see now. Um, for my number two pick, I'm going to go with Oregon's apple green jerseys. Uh, most notably, the game I remember these the most from was when they played Florida State in the Rose Bowl. Uh, it's not a super dark green. It's not a super light green. I just I, I call it apple green. These are my favorite Oregon jerseys that they wear. So that's my number two pick. Um, yeah, so my, my third pick is going to be kind of sticking with the playoff games i'm going with ohio state's blackout uniforms with the red lettering uh or with the red number sorry yeah. um I, I just think it's really cool um and what a great way to unveil just like you were saying with oregon on, on the playoff stage yeah no that, that was my number three pick too um so i'll have to move to the next one i'm gonna go with florida state's home jerseys uh i love the garnet and gold and then I love the the little patterns they have around the neck and then the the sleeves as well. Uh, so that's my number four jersey. Uh, number four for me, or that was number three. Yeah, that was my number three. Sorry, number three. Number four for me. I'm sticking with powder blue. Ole Miss love baby blue colors. Uh, so I'm going with the the uh, powder blues for Ole Miss. Okay. Uh, s- sticking with powder blues for number four, I'm going to go with UNC's Jordan. Uh, uh, Jordan, I call them the Jordan blue jerseys. Uh, they have the dark blue stripes and the dark blue numbers down the middle. I just love how they look. Uh, so that's my number four pick. Um, number five, I'm going to go with University of Oregon's breast cancer jerseys. <laughs> the all black with the pink let- with The, pink the ones they had last year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are good ones. I like those. Um, my nine number five, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State's. They're black jerseys that they wear with uh, orange helmets and orange pants, especially if they do the chrome face mask or chrome, yeah. chrome decals on the side. I just love the way that the orange makes the black kind of pop out more and vice versa. Uh, and then w- once you add a little touch of chrome on there, I, I think that's just kiss right there. Uh, so that's do what you, I'll put on my number five. Do you have one honorable mention? I have three left. No. Oh. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you go ahead and tell me your honorable mentions. My honorable mention is the uh, Horn Frog jerseys that TCU wore with, I think it was Andy Dalton. They were like the trippy frog jerseys or something like that when Nike Pro was all about. Oh, yeah. It, yeah and yeah. Uh, they wore like the the undershirts uh, <laughs> that had like the designs on it. It kind of matched with the jersey and everything. Yeah. Um, I really like those. They're kind of like more black, but a little bit of purple, like shimmer to them and stuff. I like those. Yeah. Uh, the three jerseys I had left on my list that neither one of us picked. Um, ECU, uh, they, they, did, they had throwback jerseys, and then for their bowl game this past year, they did a modern throwback. Uh, the lots of purple. Ones. Yeah, lots of purple, white, and then yellow. Loved it all mixed together. Uh, the other one was LSU's white jerseys. Um, I like the all-white and then the, the purple stripes on the shoulder just kind of make everything pop out. Uh, and then the other one I had on my list, I did 10 just in case you took five of mine. Um, my 10th one was Virginia Tech's, uh, their, their burgundy or their orange jerseys. Their, their normal maroon ones are fine. I just really like the way that the orange ones look and they, they kind of make all everything else, all the accents really complement each other well. And I, I like the way they look. Speaking of this upcoming weekend, you had mentioned um, 
Kansas jerseys coming up this weekend. What do you think of Tennessee's jerseys they're wearing this weekend? It's a throwback to the being the first team to have a black quarterback in the uh to start in college football. Um, they're all gray with orange accents. Um, did you see them yet? Or are you looking it up to see? Oh, the, the, so it's it's a brand new smoke gray. Yeah, it's, they're unveiling it this weekend. I think they just have like pictures of Hen and or not Hen. Uh, what's his name? Uh, oh crap, Milton. Yeah, Milton. Milton. I was saying Hen Milton. and Hooker. One year late. So here, I'll I'll put them up on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're pretty cool as well. It would be cool to see that jersey play against Kansas blackout <laughs> jerseys. Yeah. Tell me why this isn't on the screen. It's on the screen. No, there we go. Now I can get you back. So yeah, this yeah, but then you left. Yes. So these are the jerseys. So they they've had the smoke gray before, but this is a whole new jersey. Wow. I, yeah, I like that. So I think these they had new as well, but I really like how all that looks together. Those are yeah. Yeah, no, those are nice jerseys. I like that. Uh, let's look up Kansas. Yeah, they look sweet. I already like, I like it. The, 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 like the large Jayhawk on the helmet, too. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I love everything about this uniform. Like, I, I have no notes to make this uniform any better at all. I love that. Everything. To be honest, I think that I think the uniform would look just as good with the normal Kansas logo on the helmet as well. I do like this logo on the shoulder on the uh, on the shoulder there better. But I think on the helmet, I think it looks great like yeah. this. I think that they could keep these jerseys. Like as a <laughs> like a, a home alternative, you know, or is that what they're doing with these? Oh. Is this like a one-off thing, or do you think those these mm -hmm. will be like their alternative? Yeah, I think this is like their their alternate. Okay, okay, okay. No, yeah, these are alternates. Yeah, they, so they they had brand new blue. They have new blue jerseys too, with like right. kind of a new design to them. Um, but yeah, so those are going to be their alternate jerseys. Um, That'll do it for this week's episode of Blitz Boys. We thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you join us Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Uh, YouTube and on our X, our Twitter. Uh, we hope to see you guys there. If I can get this thing to load. There we go. Um, so our game of the week is going to be Old Miss at Tulane. Uh, so we're going to be breaking that game down a lot. Super excited to talk about it and all of the other games as well. I think we have like 12 games we're going to pick this week. Um, of course, headlines one of them is going to be Texas, Alabama. Don't you guys no, worry. No, I cut that one out. No, I cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're, we're going to have a lot to talk about Saturday morning, so we hope you guys join us there. And thank you, as always, for checking us out here on Jack Wagon Sports Network. We will see you guys in the next video.